Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us today. Before we begin, I would like to remind you all that we love feedback and always feel free to send your feedback via our links on whitelabelamerican.com, www.whitelabelamerican.com. The links will be in the show notes. And when you hit the links, there's a, um, there's a little camera, uh, sorry, microphone icon. Hit that icon if you want to leave an audio message. Um, it's two minutes. I don't want you to go over two minutes. I know a lot of you have a lot to say. So two minutes. I put them. Yeah, I cut it off at two minutes. So two minutes. Uh, you can leave more than one message too. So yeah, we love feedback. And yeah, say something nice. And if you don't have something nice to say, well, I'll still listen. But if it's not productive, well, you know where it goes. So yes, feedback is welcome. If you want to buy merch, you know where to go to. And uh, we welcome donations and support from you can join our patreon and you know as low as three dollars you can support us you can give dollars euros if you want to give crypto as usual we negotiate on that if you want to give naira we negotiate on that too i love your money but uh yeah you know all money is uh, welcome right now all righty so um with that being said um what am i oh yes i remember what i was forgetting i almost forgot this so we're in election season uh, for my Nigerian listeners. We are in the general, the general election is coming up next year, February. Kenya just had its general election. Angola just had its general election. Um, United States, we are having our elections in November, mostly legislative, but we also have state elections too. Um, all over the world, you guys who are old-time listeners, you know how I'm big on voting. You know how I'm big when it comes to our voting rights. And that's why I'm honored to have today's guests. Um, 11, I was October, yeah, 11th October 2020. I was listening to the best podcast in the world, The Black Guy Who Tips, when I heard of these two wonderful women. And I was like, wow, I got to write their names down and I, I just got to stay in touch with them. So back then... I only knew of the, the two women who you'll be meeting today as um, having a multi-award-winning blog. And then from there, they now develop into a podcast and now they are going into their second season. And I've learned a lot from these two wonderful women and I've just been like, yeah, my, my, my knowledge has been expanding and I'm so honored to have Adrian George and Angela Forbes here today. So welcome to the show. I'm so honored to have the both of you. How are you all doing today? Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, we're so glad to be here. And I am not surprised that you heard the, us on the Black Guy Who Tips, but I'm surprised that you contacted us. That's really great. Thanks. Well, Hey, yeah, thanks. You know, <laughs> I was going to say, when he contacted me, I was like, Angela, we do at least have one listener. Someone's listening. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> But uh, we, like you, are big fans of The Black Guy Who Tips. I have to give Angela. She's the one who turned me on to it. Um, because when we started doing, um, as you say, we were doing get out the vote work with Democrats abroad for the Global Black Caucus. 
that Angela set up and was leading at the time. And she was like, Adrian, I want you to do the, get out the vote work. And we said, okay, what podcasts are good? And she, the black guy who tips is at the top of her list. So we're lucky that you listened that day because here we are. Oh, yes. Um, the funny thing is that the black guy who tips, I started listening because of Game of Thrones. It was, uh, I saw I saw a report on Vice News um, when they used to be on HBO and they were like, oh, there's a black couple that talks about Game of Thrones in a very black way. And I was like, huh, you know, all my stuff that covers nerddom, because I'm a big nerd. I was like, yeah, I, I, I didn't realize that I never had any black people in, when it came to anything that was about stuff that I was really into. So... I think I was like, that was the first time. I was like, okay, let me just listen to them. And back then, the person who I was was like, oh, if you just said something that I disagreed with or was different from what I was expecting, I just wanted to fight with you. So if you, my first few letters I was sending to them was like, disagree, disagree, disagree. And then I started like, huh, they, 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 they do make a lot of sense, though. Like, well, why am I just here to fight? Why can't I just enjoy what they're saying? And that's how I started changing. And a lot of, the changes in my life started just because I said I was listening to that podcast and I was like, wait, they do more than just talk about Game of Thrones. They talk about a whole lot of things that I like and I listen to and I enjoy and, you know, and the politics was just, I was like, oh man, I'm here. I'm here. Keep me for life. <laughs> Keep me. And wow. that that's why I always refer to it as the best podcast in the world. And through the Black Eye Tips, I've gotten to know a whole bunch of other fantastic podcasters that I've um, expanding my knowledge and I include you guys too. So yes, that's why I'll always give a shout out to um, Rod and Karen. So with that being said, let's start with um, both of you. I always like to begin with my guests' names. So uh, let's go to the very beginning. Is there a story as to why you have your names and what are the meaning of your names? Angela, I'll go first because I feel like I'm going to be brief. Because I and I know I appreciate when you sent me this. This threw me for a loop, and you know this is maybe something I'm going to have to um, work on. I didn't take the time to see. You know, some people know what their name means or whatever. I know I wanted to be spontaneous and tell you the first thing that came to my mind. I know on my birth certificate originally, it's spelled like a the masculine version because that's the way my mother. She spelled it the masculine version, one in. And then, I don't know, oh. days later, she thought better of it. And her middle name had the, had the she incorporated her middle name with my spelling. So somewhere out there, I, there's a male version of me. There's a birth certificate with a male version of me somewhere. And I really dig when I meet guys named Adrian. Um, I just love more so than when I meet a woman named Adrian. I love it. Um, uh, because when you meet a woman named Adrian, they may have two E's. I only have one E. The Adrian, the guy always has the one A. And I remember when I moved to London, lived in England for the first time, there were people who swore my name wasn't Adrian because it was only a masculine name. They hadn't mm. encountered anyone that with the feminized version. So that's my name story. Thanks for asking. I never thought about it. That's why I love asking this question. <laughs> Well, okay, so my name is, I'm going to be a little bit more complicated about it. Um, my name is Angela Gabrielle, and um, Angela is messenger, and I was named after the angel Gabriel because 
the day before I was born, my mother had a dream about the angel Gabriel, and she oh. named me after the angel Gabriel. My last name actually is um, Native American, oh. and it it means clever in Choctaw. In oh. Choctaw, so I have a little bit of, uh, and I am definitely uh, the avenging angel. So, oh, <laughs> my name fits my fits me, okay. or I I managed to fit my name. So <laughs> you know, hey, that, that's why this is one of my favorite questions to ask because the answers are never the same. And I always learn stuff. I always learn stuff from the name questions. And yes, there's cultures that I get exposed to. And like Adrian, I, I don't think, I think this is the first time I, I, I just realized that Adrian um, is a unisex name. Well, I think I've only, personally, I think I may have only come in contact with male Adrians. So I don't think it registered with me that there are women named Adrian, and then I think yeah, I, it, I think the first emails that I sent to you guys, I was spelling Adrian with an E, not A, and yeah, then I, I caught it yeah. later on. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, that used to bug me to no end when people, um, I'm going to say maybe that's my yoga's working. I didn't even notice that you did that, um, but thanks for picking it up. See, you're sensitive. You picked it up. Um, and you made that adjustment, but um, kind of playing off of the name things. I love it when I meet a guy named like Kim or something, and um, or Marion or named Evelyn, names that you normally oh. that I normally associate with women. So that kind of, and then you know, I've never seen that couple when they both have the same name. I'm waiting for that though. I'm waiting for that. Oh, I have. I, have. I just oh. thought of one in Jim. They actually in Jim. They're related to my my wife's family. Uh, Peter and Petra. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is the same name. <laughs> That's sweet. I know. What are they going to name their kids? I've seen some families that do all that with the same first name, I mean, first letter or something, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us about your name? See, now I have to know because I, 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 oh, sure. I feel like your name means sure. something. Yeah. Um, well, I, I was lucky as a kid. I got to, my elder sister had a book of names, so I uh, I got to steal the book that's the the, the the cleaner version i stole the book later on and uh, i think i was age 11 10 or 11 when i kept the book for myself and i uh, that's how i got to find out that my name rafael which became rafael after i moved to the united states was a hebrew name meaning the healing of god because uh in nigeria i don't think anybody ever told me the meaning of my name until i saw that book and then my last name harry is a celtic name um, which is the same as Henry, which is a rich, powerful lord. And then my traditional name is Oin Laifa, which is nothing supersedes a greater being. But I think due to our being converted to Christianity, it became, uh, you get a variation of um, nothing supersedes God. So it depends on who's telling you the meaning. Okay, well, no, like earlier, I've got some research to do. I don't know what my last name means or anything, <laughs> my middle name, find out my married name, and hope I don't find anything bad. Well, the, the, now I, I, the, I need to ask why I was given those names. That's the only thing I haven't asked, but uh, I always get different stories on different days. So I'll find out one of these days, and hopefully I'll get one story that sticks. 
But uh, it's always fun getting hearing from other people and there's things that you learn. Because some people have, you know, I've heard of stories like, you know, the, um, someone was, uh, someone told me recently, their family, they, they only had, uh, yes, they only had girls. The, the parents only had girls and there, there was pressure on the dad to take another wife because, you know, they needed a boy. The family needed a boy. And the mom was while the mom was pregnant, and the mom had another girl. And the name that she was given that's the day she when I asked her, that's the day she found out because her mom was there, and she asked her mom, and she got the true meaning of her name. That um, I think it's a blessed daughter or something like that, or blessed girl or something, something like that. And um, she thought it was something different in her language, but the the meaning meant the, or the the supreme girl or something like that, and. That's how she found out that oh the the dad intentionally named her for that that um yeah I'm I'm still fine with this with this girl being the, the fourth girl in the family although they still later on had another kid which turned out to be a boy and then yeah everybody calmed down and I was like oh so that's how that's how it <laughs> sounds like Downton Abbey and all of this we have to have son oh there there are lots of uh, it, it cuts across different tribes back in Nigeria uh, yeah there's. In my family, we had stories like that. We, yeah, I know of aunts, and especially from the women, yeah, they always had stories of, uh, yeah, once the, it's like there's a timer. We've had the first kid, second kid, third kid, no boy has popped out. Yeah. Um, so we, we know this other woman who we believe can bring a boy. It's like nobody ever talks about the man, <laughs> the man's role. It's always, yeah. So at the point in time, I, I was also growing up thinking that. It's the women's fault, and then you find out later with science that oh, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the funny part to me about all these historic things. Like oh, I've got to get rid of this wife because she's just bringing me only daughters, and it's like, no, nope, you're doing that. So <laughs> that's you. <laughs> yeah. So coming back to both of you, um, can you introduce us to your place of birth and what was childhood like for you guys? Angela, you want to go first since I let off with the name? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, which is, a, I guess, a medium-sized city in Ohio, southern Ohio. It's on the border of Kentucky. Um, I have no idea what my childhood was like. I think it was good. I mean, for the most part, you know, um, there were a few things that maybe weren't so great, but... Um, you know, I grew up, I grew up in a house in a neighborhood on the west side of Cincinnati. Um, I, my, actually my grand, I lived with my grandma, my mother and my grandmother and my grandfather until he died. Um, we had a lovely life. Um, I mean, Cincinnati, where I'm from, for me, it's super boring, um, but other people like it. I mean, it's a great place to visit if you're just going to be there for a few days, but don't live there. And I know people are from Cincinnati are probably listening to this saying, oh, she's crazy, but you know what I mean. Don't live there. Um, it's a great place to visit, but not a great place to live. Um, I, yeah, I went to university there. Um, I went, I didn't go to University of Cincinnati. I went to Xavier, which is another university in the city. 
Um, and then as soon as I possibly could, I left. So, okay. all right. <laughs> so we'll pause there. Um, Adrian. Yeah, I, um, I'm trying to think if I've been to Cincinnati, but I know I've been to Ohio because I'm from Washington, D.C. And I remember, I, like Angela said, she thinks she has a good childhood. I think I had a good childhood. I know I had a good childhood. Um, it's interesting, again, that you asked this because, you know, there's such an American ideal of what a childhood is supposed to be. And, um, you know, you don't want to start comparing yours to others and mm -hmm. things like that. But I grew up in a household with, you know, my parents, they met in, in university at Howard University in Washington, D.C. So me and my sister are first generation Washingtonians because of that. My mom came from the Midwest, my father from the South. So they set their, their, their roots in Washington, D.C. And I grew up when D.C. was Chocolate City. You know, it still upsets me now that we can't say that anymore, that it's not Chocolate City anymore. And by Chocolate City, I mean majority Black. Yes. And I say that proudly. Proudly, it totally made me who I was, who I am. I can't imagine not growing up in a city where the mayor, the robber, the doctor, the pimp, everybody looks like you. Everybody's in a community. You know, there are white people there and there are other people there, but you are the majority. And that is just such a fantastic feeling for, uh, so I have that. I have that as, as, a, as a basis for my childhood. I do not know what it's, what it's like to not be in the majority to not be in a safe space as safe as far as it's not unsafe for you because you don't fit in because you look differently mm. you know my mother's from chicago there were parts of chicago you know you don't go in that part of town you do not go in that part. you will not come out alive so dc was not that space for me i can't talk to dc now but i grew up in dc when it was chocolate city it was a fantastic place to be cultural hub artistic hub with a family who loved me. My sister asked for me, you know, they had a sweet little story. She was six. Mommy, how much do I cost? Mommy, why? Because can you buy me a little sister? So, you know, I have that idealized, I can spin it. And, you know, I've got that. My, my, my childhood is just as happy as Becky's over there. You know, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and I am very grateful for, for having grown up in Chocolate City. That's beautiful. So with that being said, what do you guys consider your favorite childhood memory? Wow, I'll that go, is okay. Yeah, you go first. I was gonna I'm, say I'll go first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Okay. Oh, uh, I can give you a favorite. I love how this is spontaneous too. Yeah. A favorite childhood memory. And I can remember, I guess I was nine. Yeah. And uh, we drove to to, um, to Los Angeles because my mom was teaching something at UCLA. And we went to Disneyland and I was in those teacups with my sister, just laughing. I have never laughed so hysterically and genuinely. And I've never been to Disney. I don't know what they're doing in Florida. I've never been to that. But my original, the one in LA, you know, that was my favorite memory um, of being at Disneyland with my sister in the teacups in particular. Um, my daughter wow. just got teacups for her birthday. <laughs> for Do you know that so. ride? I don't even know <laughs> if they have that, but you know that ride? You're like sitting in a teacup. It's like, oh, and it spin, that teacup spins around and then it's on a bigger axis that's spinning around. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of spinning around. Um, 
and they probably it's probably too old fashioned to have now. But yeah, so that seems so pure and wholesome. Yeah. So you're making me smile on the inside today. <laughs> That's the plan, you know. <laughs> so Angela. Oh yeah, I know, and I'm. I don't. I. It's not that I don't have any memories that are positive. Um, I'm just not sure. I don't have necessarily have like a definitive moment, but I have to say some of the best my best childhood memories have to do with playing sports. Okay. Um, I really enjoyed as a child playing sports um, and I was very good at it and very competitive. And so I would say that most of my, I would say that that's probably a good memory just being, you know, able just to run around and play ball and, you know, have fun. Was there a particular sport that was your favorite? um it depends on what age when i was like let's say under 12 i loved to play foursquare do you know this game foursquare. Um, i might know yeah it by sight it's it's a game with a ball and there's four squares that are drawn on the ground and the idea everybody stands in a square and the idea is to hit the ball so the other person doesn't um, can't hit it back, gets out of the square. You have to stay in the square. You have to keep the ball in the square, and you have to stay in the square. Hmm. It's, um, it's, uh, that, that, it's, that was giving me some Squid Game vibes right there. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I love Squid Game too, by the way. <laughs> I like the idea of having to play little kids' games for your life. That was awesome. Oh, Squid Game. They, they've changed everything for me now. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's another favorite question of mine to ask. The uh, favorite childhood memory, because you never know what comes up, and uh, yeah, I've, I've I've gotten everything. That's uh, um, yeah, I, I I love seeing the looks on people's faces uh, and hearing the answers, and just hearing the the excitement in the voices. You know, when people talk about their childhood memories, so it's always beautiful. So. You two now live outside of United States, but as a, as kids, did you guys, you know, what, what were, if I were to meet your, let's say, your teenage selves, what was your dream or like your profession? Or, yeah, what was the dream that your teenage selves had profession-wise? Um, oh, God, that was easy for me at 16. Well, yeah. you said teenage. Yeah. So I get to pick, I get to pick between 13 and 18, right? I'm going to pick like 16. Okay. Because I graduated high school 17. I was going to be a buyer at Macy's. And it was, no, Bloomingdale's. Oh, okay. It was okay. going oh, to be Bloomingdale's or Macy's. I can't remember, but um, a buyer. And um, cause, and a fashion buyer, I should say. Because, you know, Bloomingdale's, Macy's, they got all kinds of departments but a fashion buyer. And I remember putting that out there and my sister subscribing to Vogue magazine and women's wear daily for me, these industry rags. And I actually lived that life eventually, but not how I originally planned it. So yeah, I had a dream and I, I did make it come true, but not how I thought, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. So 
when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a doctor. And um, I, someone had, had advised me that I should like volunteer at the hospital, one of the local hospitals. And so for, I don't know, I wanna say from age 13 to around 17, I volunteered at the same hospital. I worked in every department, oh, wow. did all sorts of jobs um, from like the morgue to giving people giving birth. The morgue? Um, yeah. Oh. There's there's things to do. <laughs> I, know. I know, but for a teenager. Yeah, um, I, I did all sorts of things in the hospital because I was deadly serious about being a doctor. And then at a certain point, I decided I don't like sick people and I just wouldn't be able to, you know, you see a lot of things and you see, I mean, from life to death mm -hmm. and a lot of people, you know, you see a lot of old, older people in a um, hospital and a lot of people just kind of leave their old parents to die. I mean, it's not mm. what people really talk about, but yeah. they do. Uh, they just leave them somewhere. No, they never visit. They never, you know, send anything or um, it's pretty sad. And I just decided that I couldn't do it like psychologically, that I just wasn't cut out for it. You know, that, that I could I could handle. I mean, you know, it wasn't like I wasn't like a like didn't like blood or squeamish or mm -hmm. something like this. It's just, I just couldn't deal with the psychological toll. And I thought it would only get worse, you know, as you, the more, the longer it went on and look at what happened with COVID. That's got to have been a nightmare for hospital workers. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, I have someone who, uh, she's a medical doctor in South Africa and she actually quit early in the pandemic for some time and how to just take some time off. I was thinking of a career change and then, but she's back to, um, she's back in the hospitals now, but she was, mm -hmm. at, at first she was like, nah, I, I don't think I can deal with this. And, and I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. There's no, 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 you must be in the hospital. No, I was like, I, I can't imagine what it's like for you because when I first arrived in America, that was one of the first things family were like, um, yeah, all the Nigerians and Ghanaians around here, they all work in hospitals, they're nurses. They got money, they got bought houses. So come on, after your my two weeks break of um, Welcome to America, yeah, yeah, now it's over. Come on, start hustling. I was like, uh, well, I, I don't like going to hospitals. I don't, you know, and I was also that man who doesn't go to the hospitals then. So I was like, yeah, I don't like the hospital smell. So I, why, why am I going to work there? Uh, I don't want to work in a hospital. They're like, it's money. They're going to pay you money. Good money. You I said, like, nah, I, I can't. That, nah, I, I could so I, That was just, just my own way. I couldn't deal with it. But yeah, that was yeah. how I struggled. And that was my own psychological thing. That It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to work. You know, I actually love hospitals. They are great. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, a hospital is a whole system yes. of people doing all sorts of things and it's really kind of interesting but not everybody survives uh -uh. and there's not a cure for everything nope. and there's you know and at a certain point in people's lives like you're just not going to make it
and I just wasn't sure that I could that I could deal with that, you know, because people people die in hospitals a lot more than anybody ever, you know. They don't really talk about it, you know. Yeah, even back when I was in Nigeria, I had a cousin who he was much older, but he had uh, he suffered from sickle cell, and um, there was a time he had one of his uh, crises and he had to be in hospital. He was admitted for a while, and I was a teenager then. I didn't understand why he wanted out of that ward. Almost everybody in the ward kept dying. Oh, yeah. By, okay. By, <laughs> yeah. I think by two weeks to a month, there were only two people left. When he was admitted, I think there were like about 10 to, between 10 and 12 people. And by the end of two weeks to a month, when we he finally got discharged, there were only two people left who were still alive in the ward. And he said everybody, one person kept dying almost like almost every day somebody died or every two days somebody died. And he was freaking out like, um, I'm, I don't even care about the treatment anymore. I'm, I feel like I'm going to die if I stay here. He was more worried about that. But for me as a teenager, then I'm like, why are you freaking out? This, the doctors give you treatment. That's my mindset then. I was, But looking back now, I was like, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to stay there. I would, I would have been like, move me to a different ward where nobody is dying. Because you know, I you know, always kind of thought of hospitals are places where people go to die, or you know, like if you're going to be there for for for, I, I mean, you know, it's, you don't have morgues in in um, schools, you don't have morgues mm-hmm. in. Um, I mean, that's hospitals are pretty much the only. Well, I don't know. I guess they're county morgues somewhere, but you know, um, that's why it's always a blessing if you can get in and out of the hospital. You know, if you have to yeah. go there, you get your treatment, get in and out, and why they encourage people to rehab at home and. You know, but sometimes people feel rushed out the hospital. They're like, wait a minute, I'm not ready to go. Um, and that's why, that's where those caregivers, those people that choose that as a profession, as you say, it's not for everyone. It's not. So that's where most people know. They're like Angela said with the pandemic, they're priceless. I don't know if society's really done a good enough job about acknowledging them. And it comes back to what you said, you know, pay them. People are like, you can give money. Oh, yeah. I don't know if they're paying them enough. Um, no, they're not. No, uh, I, no. I can't imagine... You know, when you see the numbers of people that have died, you know, and a lot of them died in the hospital, I can't even imagine how those people feel that work there, Mm. you know, because their job is to try to keep them alive. And in the beginning, there wasn't any chance for these people, you know, Uh, by the time people went to the hospital, it was basically, I mean, too late, you know. Um, I also and, know of doctors who and nurses that died in New York here. Yeah. So at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. It's it's if I had if I if I had a crystal ball and I could see the future when I was a teenager, I would have still been a doctor and I would have just had a wellness clinic and it just been like, oh, you're well. Let me help you make you more well. You know and not had to deal with sick people but i had no idea that at the time that yeah. there would be such a thing so right. you know hindsight but um adrian you you stepped away from you because you started um you went into the the buying but in a different way right well that was my fantasy um 
of course they're, they're, they're mowing in the backyard right now. And maybe I'll, let me know if I get noisy background. Okay. But that was my fantasy buying. I don't know how I got into fashion. And then, you know, I went to Howard University. I was going to be a marketing major. I don't know why I thought I had to be a marketing major. I don't know. I, I didn't really think it out because I didn't say, oh, I should go to FIT or, you know, I should totally follow this fashion thing. I was like, okay, you know, business. But let me tell you, I could not do the math to get a business degree from Howard University. My brain does not function that well that way. I couldn't get past whatever you had to get to to do qualitative business analysis, to do whatever to get that business degree I was looking for. So I ended up getting an MRS degree. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Like I went MRS. from MRS. Yeah, from Miss George to Mrs. someone. That's my little joke. I got oh. my MRS degree. <laughs> I got mainly as an undergrad. So I got that was my first degree. You I know, got my I thought that's what you were trying to say, but I thought, <laughs> no, surely she's not saying that. But okay, yes. <laughs> sorry, keep going. I, you, know, and, you know, you have a wife and you readjust. And I went uh. back to school, you know, English degree and other things. But but the the way I got into buying is because you know my family was entrepreneurial, and I had cousins in Chicago who opened up a high scale. They opened up two things, like the high scale fashion boutique, literally next door, like the hip hop boutique you know for that culture and they did it at a great time on the south side where people like support black so i actually got to do buying with them you know and then when as a married woman i worked in a boutique and i got to do buying with them so so it happened in a different way but i didn't have that like i was gonna be living in new york working for bloomingdale's i don't know what i thought it was gonna be like <laughs> but um and, and you know it's probably good the universe was like no because you can't afford to live in new york on what they pay buyers at you know working at bloomingdale's you know what i mean coming out of college so people can have unrealistic fantasies and sometimes um the universe can help you course correct yeah nicely i think i agree um yeah but um I hope that's where you would go on with that question because okay. I don't want people to know because I, I never and I don't want to be bitter and I don't have regrets. No, no, but... no. It's not, it's not about being bitter. But I yeah. asked based on the younger self because, you know, when we're younger, there's, there's, uh, we all have that fantasy. And like you said, the universe cost corrects us in its own way. And yeah, sometimes it's, you know, it comes back full circle or sometimes it leads us into a different path which is still meant for us. So, you know, I wonder because like you, like when you, when you came, you know, to America and you're like, no, I don't want to work in a hospital, but you knew you, did you, you didn't know what you wanted to do, but you knew what you didn't want to do. Is that how you found? Uh, your- I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I still, I was just, ah, uh, my, my fantasy was, uh, it was very, very, <laughs> Ah, there was, I grew up under the the military ruling Nigeria and it was until 99 that we returned back to democracy. Um, Yes, it was 99 that we returned back to democracy, which we've still been under. And so I arrived in 2006, no, uh, 2007 in the United States. And so I'm barely used to democracy, but I still had a lot of the military mindset in a way. I guess it was always at the back of my mind because I remember being a teenager. There was uh, every holidays in Nigeria, you always had the, the president who was a military general addressing the nation first thing in the morning, public holiday. My dear fellow Nigerians read his speech. That's what you wake up to. So I used to mimic that 
for some reason, I would just, I don't know, I think I was 11 years old, and one day I would just pretend I was holding a big sheet of paper, put on my sunshades, and sit down in front of the house, and somebody saw me one day, I was like, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm the general. I'm, um, you know, I'm addressing the nation. And they, they all laughed. Ah, you look good, you look good. And so part of me said I wanted to be a general because that's the only way you can rule a country. And everybody would just laugh. But I didn't know how you became a general and what that entailed. But then later on, they asked me what you want. I was like, oh, I want a wife, four kids. I didn't even understand what that meant. House, five cars, all that kind of talk. But everybody really knew what I wanted to do. And then when you arrive in America, it's like, okay, go hustle. I'm like, uh, what, what, hustle, what? Like, okay, if you don't want to work at, um, you don't want to be a nurse, all right, go get student loan. I'm like, loan? In Nigeria, loan is bad. <laughs> why, why am I getting a loan? To, I thought I'm in America, I can go to school just like that. Like, uh, yeah, nobody goes to school just like that. Go, go, go get a loan, go to school. So I was freaking out. And then that's how um, a distant cousin called me and said, um, join the Navy. I was like, I don't know how to swim, even though I'm from a River Rhine tribe. He was like, man, just call them. They'll teach you how to swim and all that. So that was like the only way out. But that would start me on the path. And then I realized that even what I'm doing, what I ended up doing in the Navy, I'd been doing it for a while because I, I'd been doing logistics. I've been doing buying and selling back in Nigeria. And then I'm doing it in the Navy. And that's when I thought I was that, that the Navy taught me how to do it. But it's stuff that I've been doing for years. But... The Navy just helped me fine-tune it and added, made, made me accept that I, could, I, I am a leader. I'd been avoiding leadership all my life. You know, uh, it put me in front. I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to hide in the back. You let someone else because I'm humble, so you don't accept leadership. And then in the Navy, I didn't have a choice. The responsibility was there, so you had to take it. And people always kept pushing it towards me. So, all right, all right, I'll do it. And then I did a good job. And yeah, okay, we like what you're doing. Take more. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I thought it's not supposed to work like this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oops. Okay. Now that they see what I can do, yeah, yeah. They, they're going to give you more and more and more. Yeah. Because but the upbringing wasn't what, like you, you get a job, you, you, you're supposed to do a bad, you, you do a good job, no matter what you're doing. So, that was just me, and I became a workaholic and that kind of thing. But um, now I'm where, yeah, I, I handle what I like. I do what I like. And, you know, like with the podcasting, even the podcast, back when I was in Nigeria, I had family members wanted to put me on state TV, state radio. Like, yeah, we like the way you talk about sports. We like the way you talk about current affairs. Come, oh, hell no, I run away. <laughs> I was afraid. Like, uh, my voice doesn't sound like a white person's voice because those are the professionals. That, that's what I thought professionals sounded like. I listened to the radio. I didn't realize that there were black people on VOA, black people on BBC speaking. How, how would I know? There were, that was BBC. That was VOA I was listening to. So I thought everybody was white who worked there. So my voice yeah. did not sound like that. So that's how I, did, I wrote myself out. So everything I'm doing now, I've always done it in the past. People could tell that, yes, I was good at it. So I'm now embracing all those skill sets. So um, we shall take a quick break. I'll be right back. Hi, everyone. We've made it two years, and who would have thought so? So let's go further and make it three, make it four, make it five, make it six. Who knows? 20. But we can't do this without your support. So join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash white label American POD pod or linktree.com 
slash white label america go there and you will see our patreon link and you can join us for as low as three dollars we have bonus content we have bonus materials there's so much juice over there that we don't release to the public and yeah you can contribute in making this podcast better you can send questions you can send your ideas and also there's a lot of new things that are coming the announcements are made on patreon first because we have to you know take care of people who help make this podcast possible so you can be the one to make this podcast what you want it to be come join us on patreon and make it what you like to see join us make it fantastic keep the five stars coming in keep the love coming in thank you for the privilege of your company welcome back thank you for staying with us so we shall begin with uh let's see so when did you decide or like what what was the what was there anything that made you you know i i i already feel like with angela you know angela already mentioned cincinnati you know how boring it was so i, I already feel like okay I, I can see where this was coming from but adrian you know dc did not sound boring so uh let's see okay what when did you, you guys decide like I need to step out of United States. Like, what, what was it? That first moment, you had to leave. Was it planned or was it just by chance? I better go first because Angela has a better story. So if okay. I follow her, I'm going to sound too boring. <laughs> so I better go first. And I'm trying to think. I knew, like, growing up, I knew, like, my, my both sets of grandparents had traveled internationally. And my, my paternal uncle... Um, he wasn't a diplomat status, but he, he worked for the State Department. Like, he wasn't a diplomat, but he worked for the State Department. And then um, in, um, what is the Ford Foundation and, like, USAID? Like, different agencies and jobs that had international travel. So I knew the world was bigger than the U.S. I knew yes. it was bigger than D.C. You know, we had travel. And I'm trying to think, oh, I worked for a, a, a reggae record company. And one of our artists that we did distribution for was in the United Kingdom. Mad Professor. I don't know if anybody's heard from him. Mad Professor. Oh, just you know, yeah, we, I probably had yeah, his song did. on the radio because reggae, reggae it, is huge in Nigeria. Exactly. And Arriba Records was his. Arriba Records. And um, just to talk, give some black love right now, at, at the time, he had the largest uh, black-owned studio in the United Kingdom, oh. uh, Mad Professor. And so I was working, we distributed his stuff. So I went to... Um, he invited me to come. I, I had never been um, to Europe. And he um, invited me to come and stay at a house for artists that come and record. And he said, the, when I planned to go, he said, you know, I'm not even going to be here, but my wife and her sister are going to meet you, give you the keys and show you around. And I had just such a great time and ended up meeting some guy. You know, it was always something. Ended up meeting some guy who knew some people that knew my boss and just got plugged in. You know, again, like how the universe, it was like, I was all of a sudden, I was just like, instantly well connected i wouldn't have had these connections in me i don't know how it happened but so i was just like so connected loved it and then had this fantasy that i can live in london i can live here and you know heart has some heart romance in there some heartbreak ended up going anyway and got the visa worked out worked in the record business for a little while and then you know it was like no looking back after it really so i think it was um being open to it. And then I like to think and say that, like, I always knew and admired Josephine Baker. And yeah. I know that's when it's going to start sounding corny and stuff, but I always 
um, I think because when I was an English major, like we, we, we studied, um, you know, the literature of the Harlem Renaissance. And I think maybe that's when I discovered Josephine Baker, but I just admired and loved her mm. and said, you know, she moved. She didn't feel like she had anything to lose. She could always come back. And when you look at what she was leaving, she was like, if I can't do better somewhere else, you know, at least try. So I felt like I had all like Josephine Baker dreams, but not to, you know, not to make it big like that, but to just make a life. Yeah. You know what I mean, don't you? I, I believe I have an idea of what you mean. Yeah. Okay, I guess you're waiting for me to say oh, yes. something. Um, <laughs> all right, I, I didn't know if Adrian was done or not. Okay, so I actually moved from Ohio, like, let's say a good five or 10 years before I, actually it's more closer to 10 years before I uh, moved to Europe. Um, I moved to Florida. And um, what prompted me I'm not entirely sure what prompted me to leave, but I, I was doing a friend a favor who had, who had needed some help. Um, I used to work in IT and they needed some help installing some, an accounting system for this project. Um, a friend of mine worked for Coca-Cola and they were setting up a factory uh, in Eritrea and um, so I went there, spent a few weeks there doing working, whatever. And then I was supposed to leave. Uh, I left, I don't know. And I met, I met a German man on my way home. But that's not, I, I don't know if I should tell this whole story because I don't know, it's a long story. Oh, it's, it's your time. Go ahead. <laughs> just, I've, I've oh, heard this story before, but I like hearing it again. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear it again? Well, I don't know what I said. I don't mm. remember what I said before, but yeah. I met a German man on my way home. We were in the airport in Eritrea, and the, the speaker system that they, the loudspeaker system where they announced the planes was really bad. And... I mean, it was, you know, you could sort of hear what they're saying, but not entirely. And so this guy walks up to me and he says, did you hear what flight they announced? And the reason why this was important was because there were two flights leaving for Frankfurt, Germany, uh, like a few minutes apart. Oh, okay. And so one was on one airlines mm -hmm. and one was on another. So it was important to know which one yeah. you were going to going for. Um, and I said, yeah, I have no idea, but let's get in the line. And we started talking and, you know, um, he seemed like a nice person, but he seemed really a little bit too friendly. Um, he seemed, which I mean, you know, I mean, every you, people know what I mean. He seemed a little too friendly. So when we got to the, we, we were in the right line, it turns out, and we got into the waiting room, the waiting area, and then you had to walk to the tarmac and, um, to go out and walk, there was no jetway. You had to actually walk up the stairs of the yeah. plane. So he had all this stuff that he was bringing back for Eritrean friends um, to t bring back to Germany. And I just had like one little bag. So I just was like, okay, I got to get away from this guy um, <laughs> because he's a little too friendly. You know, I yeah. just, I was just like, eh, I'm not really interested in like whatever. And so then I, I just rushed along, 
went up the stairs, found my seat. And then like, I'm going to say 15 minutes later, he shows up and his seat is right across from mine. And <laughs> like, okay, fine. So we got to, we got to talking on the plane a little bit. And I had realized when I was, I don't know when I, when actually I realized it the day that my plane was supposed to leave that I had screwed up my plane reservations oh. and that I was actually, yeah, I really made a, made a real mistake because on the way to Eritrea, it took two days, but on the way back, I could have flown straight through. Wow. Uh, I mean, it would have been a long flight, but I could have flown. It, it, I would have still been in the same day. And I didn't realize that. So when we got to got to Frankfurt, I was like, can you help me find a hotel room? You know, I wasn't, you know, it's like I'd never, I'd been to Frankfurt, but only passing through, Yeah. you know, I hadn't actually like checked it out. And so he was like, yeah, sure. And I ended up staying at the hotel in the, the, the hotel in the airport, which I guess I could have found myself. And then we went out on what one could call a date. Uh, he he went home to change and we both we both wanted to take a shower because you couldn't take a shower in Eritrea. So he went home to take a shower and I'm like, oh, I cannot wait to get into a shower. Um, so we went out and we also had been a little deprived of Western food. So we went to McDonald's, which is kind of crazy but <laughs> but we were like we were both like um we just want some some western food so we mm. went to mcdonald's we had a nice time um he gave me his this was i mean people had email addresses but he didn't have one i had one he gave me his address and phone number and i said okay fine i've if i'm ever you know in Germany, I'll give you a call or whatever, you know, and I thought I would never see him again. Um, needless to say, I did see him again and we started dating. Um, and for about two years, we dated like, you know, he'd come to America and I'd go to Germany. And um, at a certain point, I was just like, you know, he actually, he said he wanted to move to the States and I thought, yeah, okay. And then I really thought about it and I was like, you know what? I want to move. I want to go to Germany. I want to have some adventure. And so I packed up and moved and I came to Germany with three suitcases. Um, I've been living here for quite some time now, although uh, me and this guy are not together anymore. So there's no like happily ever after. We were together for about ten years, but we are. I am happily married to someone else. Hey, um, it was, it's still a beautiful story, and yes, and it wasn't yes. as long as you you may have thought it was. No, I I made it a little shorter because it is a little bit long, and I yeah. don't want people. Uh, it's, um, yeah, I'm happily married to, ironically enough, an American that I met here. Oh. Oh, I, and, I always uh, thought he was a German you were married to. Yeah, but no, yeah. I, I married an American, which I know. And the funny thing is, is that a lot of people think my husband is German. I don't know why, but they do. <laughs> but he's not. <laughs> he was born in Pennsylvania, so oh. <laughs> very American. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh. so I would have to say the lesson that people can draw from this story is 
just have some adventure. Yeah. Everything doesn't have to be so serious. You know, um, a lot of people thought that I would kind of screw up my life by coming here. And I actually never intended to stay this long, but, um, I'm really glad that I came here and I, I mean, I can't say it's for everyone, but it's given the situation in America. Sometimes I'm really glad that I am not there to have to deal with it. You know, I can, I can contribute to fighting all the issues. I can still contribute from, from here. Yeah. So, um, Thank you again for sharing that. Um, I have one question, though. So you are the first person that I know of who has lived in Eritrea, and I'm always curious about that place because I don't think I've... That's one place I haven't met anybody that's lived in there. And really? Yeah. I've met a lot of Africans. I know a lot of Africans, but uh, I know... Ethiopians, but I don't know any Eritrean in my circle. And the current description of Eritrea is not Korea of Africa. So what was it like for you, the, the period while you were there? Well, okay. When I was there, it was before um, the war started again. Yeah. You know, there was a break there. Mm-hmm. They had the civil war with Ethiopia and then there was like a, a break of I don't know how many years. And then there was that's one of the reasons why I didn't go back because the war broke out. Mm. I was thinking about going back, but it was it was a really nice place. And all the people were super nice and friendly and everything was really clean. Um, <laughs> emphasize that part. It was really clean. Uh. And I mean, everything it was it seemed like a thriving, um, like, like it was really going somewhere different than where it went. Mm. And how Eritrea has turned out is, I mean, it's it's surprising to me. I mean, you, it was so safe and like, and, and what I what I mean when I say safe, I don't mean because it was in Africa. I mean in comparison to America. Oh, I, I, I understand I, that. It's like yeah. when, when I was in Bahrain, I, I've never, that's the safest place I've been in. Even during Arab Spring, you still didn't lock your doors. You just, you know, I was there for Arab Spring and there was not one, not one person I knew was like, oh, I'm leaving my house. So I, I, leave, I lock now. Nah, yeah, your doors, you yeah. left it open. I was safe yeah, on the it, streets. It they, was, they so when open. I went to, when I was in my, one of my friends from Howard, her wedding in West Virginia, they didn't lock their doors, so there are places in America where you don't, have, you can't lock your doors. I just have to say that because well, we there, do have safe there's, there's that too, and there's it's also. But West Virginia, I also have something about West Virginia that um, it's uh, I don't know, but I don't know. <laughs> there's something also about West Virginia that I, no, I, I agree. I don't respect people in West Virginia, but it's also West Virginia. And I know we lock our doors in Sweden. I haven't been anywhere in Sweden where we don't lock our doors. And my people in Germany lock their doors and stuff. So, oh, yeah. My, my, so father, my father-in-law does that. But he's also a, a retired policeman, too. So, But to yeah, be in but, a place where you don't lock your doors would blow my mind. So maybe okay, I have to Okay, I don't know if you didn't lock your doors because I didn't... I wasn't in charge of that, let's just say, in our home. Um, <laughs> but in, in Eritrea. But 
I mean, but it was safe, like on the streets. Yeah. I'm not, I'm always, it doesn't matter where I live. I'm always going to lock my doors. Um, there's a here, it's where I live now. I live in a kind of a small city in Germany and it's safe here. But one of the things, there's a column in the newspaper and it's like the police things that have happened, you know, the police, um, Oh God, I can't think of the the English word. Um, crime report. Yeah, crime it's report. it's a crime report, but it's not exactly. It's like things that happen, and one of the things that happens around here a lot is that somebody will get drunk, they'll walk home, they'll open the wrong door, oh. and pass out on the couch or yep. something, and then people will wake up and you know, like somebody you'll you'll get up in the morning and then come out out to the living room and there'll be a person passed out on your couch or something. So that's a reason for me to lock my doors. Actually, like, I, I almost did that in Bahrain. That was I was the drunk person. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. so I but I didn't okay go into the person's house. Lucky. Thank goodness. They, yeah, they they locked their door. I was wondering why why the door why am I struggling with the door and why you couldn't get it open? It was like yeah, two hands, and yeah, the persons were um, the the woman opened the door, and I, I was I had my keys, but I was like, what? Why is this? And I went to the wrong floor. I, I think yeah, I went yeah, I went one floor below mine, and I was like, yeah. So that's why I was putting my keys, and that was the day I decided to use try to unlock. I don't usually lock my door, but I, I was so drunk that I tried to. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> See, if that would have been in the States, depending on whose door, that could have got you killed. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But they, for yeah, sure. When, I, when the door opened like 2 a.m., I was around 2 a.m. in the morning and a woman opened the door and I was like, huh? Who's, why is there a woman here? I wasn't expecting anybody. Why is... And she looked at me and she was, and the husband came to the door and he was like, hello, my friend. Are you okay? I was like, oh. And then I looked at the door. I looked at the number on the door and I was like, Oh yeah, this is not my, this is not my place, and he's like, yes, it's not, <laughs> and he was so they were so nice about it. <laughs> I was like, but well, I was like, I also, I was becoming sober on the spot. Like I was so embarrassed that I became sober on the spot, and I was like, oops, yeah, this is not my place. I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, I wish, the, yeah, I, I wish I could disappear right now. He was like, you want something to drink and eat? I was like, you still offering me something to eat and drink? <laughs> I thought I. I, I I was harassing you guys by you know oh, no I need I, I just need to go. It's like are you okay? sure are you okay? Let me let me get you water to drink or juice. I was like no 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 it's fine it's fine let me do my walk of shame quietly. And say meanwhile somebody's calling the police they're trying to keep you there. On uh, the scene. <laughs> 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 now I, I think it was mostly the the Americans who were yeah very we we, we caused a lot of drama there so. You know, anywhere we have a base, we 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 cause a lot of drama. So, uh, I think there were a lot of them were used to it. A lot of locals were used to it, and but yeah, I, I was I was just lucky to run into a friendly couple, and but even yeah, but but they were never most of the Bahrainis that I met, they were they never had issues. Especially like me being a black person, I had every time if I, like when I even walked into their ghettos, if I got lost, like. I just assalamu alaikum. Even when the only time I should have been in trouble was when I ran into the biggest protest ever that I've seen in my life. The Shia protesters were protesting and uh, they surrounded the vehicle. We were the only vehicle on the road it was a Shia taxi. We weren't supposed to take that. But I was that guy who I'm like, it's cheaper. <laughs> so I would take that and 
you know, and I, I knew how to haggle prices being that I grew up in Nigeria. It was something that we did all the time. So um, if you took a Sunni taxi, which we were, which were, we were allowed to, you don't haggle prices because they have a meter. But Shia taxi drivers don't have meters, so you haggle. And because I haggled the prices, the taxi driver thought that I was the superior person in the, in the vehicle. But my boy who was with me, he was actual, actually three ranks above me. So he never knew. But the, when we <laughs> got in, the driver said, can I take a shortcut? And I was like, fine, Any, just get us where we're going. And this shortcut led to a street where we're the only vehicle, a crowd that looked like over a thousand people in my estimation, wow. surrounded us. And, you know, they were yelling, all had the black flag, the Shia flag, and the women, children, everybody. And they spoke to the driver and he kept pointing at me. And I was like, oops, uh, yeah. And by the time the people were speaking to the driver, like walked around, were coming towards me. It was a manual window, so I just wound down and I had my hand out and I shook hands with them like assalamu alaikum, assalamu alaikum, and they were like, oh okay, cool, uh, alaikum assalam, and now it's like tension is already down. And they're like, uh, American? I said yes. Military? Yes. Which one? Navy. Ah, I said, mashallah, I like Navy. I said, I like you too, my man. Yeah, go chop. Yeah, fist bump. And they said, I want to say, I like Obama. I said, oh, man, you know I like Obama too. Come on, man. Come on. So, fist bump for you too. And the other one said, my king, my king, king not good. I said, hey, I'm new in your country. I don't know your king. I'm sorry to hear that. But I will let uh, my, my government know that your king is not behaving well. One said, tell Obama. Yeah. Tell Obama. I said, you know what? I bring up my phone right now. And I, 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 I will start. <laughs> I, I, I will send that text. That's a hotline. Oh my but God. You, you know, my brothers, uh, I'm trying to get somewhere. Can you help me? And whoever, I think he was like their leader. He was just like, it's okay. 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 And he just yelled at the crowd and they parted. They just made it like, it was like the Red Sea was just. <laughs> uh, my boy was in the vehicle. Who, he had actually said, man, I wish we had guns. I was like, guns for what? <laughs> so he was like, dude, how, how you know these people? How you, you ever met them before? How, how the hell you like he couldn't believe when we when we drove through and i was like uh you know you just you know talk to them <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was barely two three months in the country <laughs> when arab spring kicked off and that was my first Talking about uh, keeping cool under pressure you know do you think that was your military it sounds like part military training and part just your personality you're going to be fist bumping everybody where you go it seems I, like well, I mean, in Nigeria, I'd been in some, uh, I, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't, uh, I was born into an upper middle class family, but uh, life happened and then I will end up being raised by people who were, who weren't in the upper middle class. But um, as soon as I could get out of the house, you, you find me in the, in the, in the, in the lower neighborhoods, in the, not always in the ghetto, but I hung out with kids from the ghetto a lot. So I mixed with everybody. And I think in a way, I just knew how to blend with people. And if someone said I was saying the wrong thing, I knew how to say I'm sorry. But as soon as I walked into a room, I first gave my salutations. And people were like, okay, yeah, he cool. He's all right. You, you allow you to stay. If they said I wore the wrong colors, yes, they do that in many parts of Nigeria. You wear the wrong colors, it's a, it's a death sentence. And there have been people who've done that to me. When I moved to a new city, people like marked me like I was wearing the wrong colors for one week, tried to find out who I was. 
yeah, so I had to flip my colors the next week, <laughs> get them confused. But uh, yeah, it was just all these things added up to my journey in the military. And then, you know, when I end up in a place like that, and being that some of my first friends in life were Muslims mm. until family intervened and were like, uh, why are you friends with a Muslim? You're a, you're a Christian. You should have only Christian friends. So, yeah, but every Muslim holiday, you're always at the Muslim family's house eating. And Muslims always brought food to us. In Nigeria, it's a little bit different. Muslims always hook you up. So now I'm in a country that's predominantly Muslim and then I run into a Muslim crowd. I knew how to say, Assalamu alaikum. That's basic. So why won't I say that? And yeah, so it was just life coming out of me. And also I was, I, part of me was also panicking at the same time. <laughs> but the best thing was to put up a cool face. And um, yeah, I came out of it and my boy was like, I don't believe it. You've been here before. I was like, no, I haven't. <laughs> I just haven't. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, hey, can I ask you a question really quick? Sure. Um. You said in Nigeria, if you wore the wrong colors, what do you mean, like a gang or something? Oh yeah, in some in some places, not everywhere, but in some places. Like um, I my the city that I identify with the most is Port Harcourt. So we, we don't the, the language is not gangs. We call it cults. Mm. So those are gangs. Well, Nigerians we like being extra with our lingua. So <laughs> yeah, so th those are cults, and yeah. a lot of our cults are found in universities. That's why you have um, a bunch of Nigerians who we think we know the world because we're educated. We're educated gangsters. But majority of our gangs are found in university. You have to be in university to be in a, uh, officially initiated into a gang. But wow. if you're not in university, you, you, you haven't gained admission, then that means you're like a foot soldier. You, you can't really rise up the ranks, but they will still put you to work. Not, so they'll use you as a foot soldier. But um, the guys who actually rise up the ranks of the gangs, and it's both for men and women, by the way. Yeah, they're, they're, they're gangs for women. Um, yeah, because like, you know, as soon as you're a freshman, your first week in the university, they start, they start recruiting. They're, they're hunting around. They're, they're sniffing out freshmen. That first week of arrival, all the, yeah, they're going around looking, looking for potentials. So, yeah, so if you're in, in a town that has a big university, or universities, um, and you wear one of the gang colors, you're a new person in the town, you're of age, you know, members of the gangs, they start looking around like, oh, who's this new person? So when I moved wow. to Portacot and I was, I was, for one week, I, it's not like I planned it, but I just wore yellow, yellow shirts, only with, with I, I don't, I don't, but, but whichever color of pants I was wearing, but yellow shirts was all I was wearing. And a guy whose nickname was Yellow Pigeon came up to me and he was just like, hey, how you doing? And that's a dangerous question in Port Harcourt when you're on the streets. When they come up to you, a boy, and they ask you, how you doing? You're not supposed to answer, I'm doing fine, because there's a, a gang known as Fine Boys. So if you say, I'm doing fine, then you say, I'm, 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 you're, that means you're a fine boy. Or I'm, uh, in our lingua, we have um, a debam. That's, there's debam too. So I didn't know that, and I, I think I said one of those two. And he was like, oh, okay. Nice to meet you. And he shook me, and he did the finger thing, and I was wondering, what are you doing? Oh, okay. And he walked away. So I didn't know that he had marked me down. But one of my neighbors who already knew me for a little bit, 
came up to me and asked, what did Yellow Pigeon want with you? And I said, oh, he asked me, how are you doing? And he said, what was your response? And I said, oh, I said, I'm fine. He said, oh, no, 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 no. And then he ran after him. I was like, hey, Yellow, come, 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 come. Now it's not, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. And he said, what? And I saw them have a conversation. And he, was, and he looked back at me and was like, oh, well, tell him not to say that again. And then he walks away. So, yeah, they were already marking me down. Like, oh, which group does he belong to? Do I need to watch my back when he's around? And I, yeah, there are people, there people take it seriously. Um, one of my friends who was studying law, if you're a law student in Nigeria, you always have to wear white, white blouses with black pants to school because that's what law students are required to wear. For, I don't know why, but that's why they are, they're always required to wear that. Um, he, almost, he almost lost his life. Well, he, he, came, he went straight from school to the wrong part of town to go see a family member to get money for his tuition. And two boys accosted him and were like, yeah, we see your colors. Why did you come to our part of town in these colors? It was his school outfit. That is school. <laughs> He's wearing his wow. school. And yeah, so while he's so he sees that one is already circling him, and he's like, "Oh well, I have money in my pocket, so I have to protect the money because I know I can't get this cash back anymore." So he's and before his a brick comes from nowhere, hits his head, and he just starts running, screaming, "Please help me, help me!" And people think like, "Oh, it's two gang members fighting." So people like, "We're not even going to intervene because they just saw the white and black and assumed that." He came flashing his colors, and I'm like, he's a law student. Law students wear that. Work though. I mean, like, if you just don't know, like, you have a people wear colors. Uh yeah, that's there's a lingua for people who aren't members of any gang, and I'm not the one made up the language. It's I don't know how the language came about, but uh, it's. Yeah, we identify as J-E-W. That's what we identified as. If you're not a member of a gang, I don't know who came up with that, but uh, you just have to figure a way out to dress normally, but maybe you have to speak loudly and somebody, you have to know somebody from that part of, if you go into that area, know somebody in that area who can identify you. So like there are places where if we're going to chase girls in that part of town, you you tell the girl to come out of her house, like, you know, because we use motorbikes uh, for transportation. So you come in on the motorbike. So you call her, like, come out, wait for me outside your house. Don't be inside when I arrive. Because if it takes five minutes for you to come out, uh, something could have happened to me in that five minutes. Or you know someone who lives there. And, you know, being, being a young man, yeah, we took too many risks. That now looking back, I was like, man, was it even worth it? <laughs> How are you supposed to go to those neighborhoods? But yeah, so you make a call and you call your friend like, okay, I don't like this guy, but he lives in this neighborhood. He has some weight. People know him. So I'll have to go see him first. I'm like, hey, I'm going to look for a girl who lives here. Can you just escort me so that people see me walking with you? And they're like, oh, who's, who's, ah, oh, he's my friend. He came, came to visit me. Oh, okay. Okay. So we don't have to go after him. All right, so all right, we don't have to think about his colors that he's wearing. All right, so he's not he's not a threat, uh, he's not he's not a target, and yeah, there, wow. there are people take that seriously. I'm like, I don't know who how you all do the calculation, but yeah. So if I hadn't if I hadn't gotten that orientation within my first two weeks in that town, yeah, and oh, funny thing is, you everybody knows somebody from that part of from that town from from that part of Nigeria, Bonaboy. 
<laughs> that's yeah. That's somebody who is from that part of Nigeria, and there's it's you know he acts. I mean, he sometimes does like he's a gangster. He's not, but I think that's part of the reason why he acts like he's a gangster sometimes because yeah, he grew up with some of that stuff. He was we lived in the same area. We never encountered him, but he probably may have encountered some of those boys because there's no way you you're a young man in that part of um, Nigeria where you've never met. You've never if, if you weren't connected to someone strong enough to defend you, then you've been oppressed by those people. Because you could be drinking with your friends in the evening and then somebody just shows up and is like, hey, I have, I have stainless, which is a gun, and says, all right, all of you at this table, um, just put whatever you have on the table for me and I'll just collect it. And we'll just, well, we're not members, so we'll just, here's all the money we have. We'll just leave it on the table for you. All right, thank you. Thank you for the offering. Mm, all right, um, was nice knowing you all. Yes, yes, yes. We, you can't go to the police and report even. You just be like, yes, yes. <laughs> with, with, with smiles. Wow. <laughs> and then you have to figure out how to pay for the drinks you were having. <laughs> so pay for your drinks when you get them because you don't know what's going to happen before you, you settle your bill. Well, right? And if this happens, if this happens when you're on a date, Ooh. It's not used against you, is it? Because the, the your date understands. Uh yeah, with with dates, it's um, it, it, it's complicated. With, with a date, you you try not to take a date. On uh, you bring your date to your you bring out to your area. You know, like I lived in an in an area that was considered neutral territory, so they never went after each other, in my estate where I lived. So you you try and bring your date to that kind of place. So if one of the the boys who wasn't uh, aware of the neutrality on ground tried to overstep, then you could call one of the names of one of the senior people that you knew, like, hey, 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 um, I'll report you to this guy. And he'll be like, why? Who, who, how, how you know that? I'm like, uh, he, just out, you can do whatever you want to do now, but when I tell this person, he, you, you see, you find out, so you might either just end my life now or when your boss finds out what you did, you know, you go and be like, hmm. Mm, why is this person so sure about my boss finding out? It might be a bluff. Do I want to take that chance that it's a bluff? You know what? Next time. No. And then he finds out that the next next time he sees me, he sees me sitting down with his boss drinking. Oh, okay, so you really knew my boss. Okay, I'm glad I, I, I'm glad I didn't think it was a bluff. Oh, it was actually a bluff, though. But um. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, there were chances like that. But... um. I, looking back now, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, there were, I don't even know why we were even trying to date because uh, it was way too risky. But hey, you couldn't stop honey boys from being honey because uh, yeah, that was yeah. We didn't think we didn't we weren't thinking with our heads. That's just it. So we we just had to go. We, we saw women. We didn't care where they lived. We just went there and then prayed that nothing bad happened. And I made it out alive. You know. I think one of the topics Angela and I talked about on the, on the Black Women Your podcast was dating. I don't know if we talked about dating, but we talked to different guests about dating in different countries. So you're really this is fascinating to me because it just reminds me, you know, just different social social norms. You know, if we're going to travel, no matter where we're traveling, we need to do a little bit of research, or as you say, have somebody on the ground. You know, even if you're a local, you need to have somebody in the neighborhood where you're going but I, I find it fascinating that um because it seems so similar and all i kept hearing in my head was colors colors 
Cones. Was it Ice Cube that made that song? I was just thinking about that. Oh, you know, the yeah. That was, a, that was in a movie, wasn't it? Yeah, about called Cones. Yeah. Movie? Yeah. I don't but it, it just made me think of that. Like, yeah, no, you didn't want to wear red in the wrong neighborhood or blue in the wrong mm-hmm. neighborhood. And I didn't know, but the thing about the school uniform, whoo, that blew my mind because black and white, you would think that's like a waiter's uniform. Too. Yeah, but I mean, yeah that's they, do a, look, they do look like waiters. That's a common <laughs> outfit, though, yeah. black pants and a white shirt. That's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not like it's so special that nobody would ever wear it. Ah, um, but yeah, yeah. Once you're so. committed to a certain life, yeah, you're committed. So, yeah, but... Uh, it wasn't always like that um, in Portacot, but uh, now it's a very big thing. Uh, the, the government claims they fight about it, but I'm like, there are members of the government that we know of, even at the federal level, that are people who rose up the ranks from universities. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's officially when it began in the 70s, it began as fraternities. The way you have, you have fraternities over here, that's what it was supposed to be. It sounds just like it. Because I was going to say, it sounds just like it. Because when you say, when you step on campus, they're starting, they're checking you out from day one when yeah. you're on campus. Or you want to us. People try to recruit you for different things. That, that, was, that was the idea. So, like, uh, the very first one was the Sea Pirates. Um, the first uh, Nobel laureate from Nigeria, uh, Wale Shoinka, was, I think, he's a founding member of that. And then it evolved into um, a group that they actually got machetes and they go full violent. So there, there are different groups that broke out from that. And the Sea Pirates still exist where they are more into the arts. And um, yeah, the, what Wallace Shoinka still identifies as a, sea, as a sea dog. I think they call themselves sea dogs. But uh, there's a, the, the, the guys that broke out from what he started is, uh, I think they're called, uh, I've forgotten what they're called, but there's a whole bunch. I think BBC Africa just had a documentary on one of the most violent groups, uh, Black Axe. And that documentary was still limited in my opinion because most of us who are familiar with groups like that, we, we know that there's a lot that wasn't even covered in the documentary. So... But we, 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 many people, it, it's got Nigerian Twitter talking for some days. They were like, oh, yeah, we, we, we know about people chasing people on the streets. But that was, they, they went into Lagos and I was like, oh, this group has even expanded into Lagos. Like they were everywhere in Lagos. Like now they even had people who were no, are not even in universities. These are like the guys who back in the 90s, they were like, yeah, you can't, you're not, you can't gain admission to university. So you, you're just a foot, you, you're an errand boy. That's what, and they rub it in your face. But now these guys are now getting power, Poli- like political power. There's some with just yeah, I'm the power, and I'm like, it it doesn't end good. It doesn't end well when those kind of things start happening. Can I ask you a question? Because the sure. BBC Africa, what is your personal opinion of BBC Africa? Because BBC, we know British Broadcasting Company. Are they telling? Are they letting us tell our stories? Is this? Is there? Is or the Brits telling our story, we're black, you can be black and British. Is it complicated? Mm, Is it? I think like every, I don't watch the main BBC anymore, but BBC Africa is one of the few channels that still covers Africa. African, I listen to the African news podcast daily, Mondays to Fridays. And my biggest complaint is that they don't cover the smaller countries. 
mostly the, the heavyweights and a lot of Nigeria that you get. But uh, I don't think they do the best job, but they still do a job. That's how I'll put it. It's not the best. Uh, VOA actually does a better job than um, BBC Africa. But like the documentaries, I think they go a little bit further with the documentaries. But like Dosha Vela actually has better documentaries than BBC Africa, in my opinion. Because I learned more. Okay, and I'm not familiar yeah. with that because I just wonder if you're an African in, uh, African in Europe or in the U.S., you know, an, an African off of the continent. And if you if that was your source of news, do you feel good about it? You know, like you feel represented. And, and it's interesting that you said they 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 could do a better job with the smaller countries. Yeah, sure. I, I've written to them before about that, and they actually read one of my letters on air. That uh, yeah, I just wish the the I see a lot more representation of the the smaller countries because there's a lot of stuff happening. Like when there was a Dosha Vela documentary that I watched about the Madagascan election, pre-pandemic, presidential election, and almost every candidate had a Russian uh, tache. Um, like they were called the Russian, um, um, what was it called? Like Russian advisors for almost all the, the candidates. And it was weird. And these were things that I had not paid attention to. But when you take that, you 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 watch that documentary, seeing what was happening in Madagascar. Then you now look at the Nigerian election in 2015, which was a test run for what will happen in the United States 2016 with the on the social media attacks. Russia had been doing a lot of stuff, which they were just test running in Africa, and it was like nobody was really catching on to a lot of things. But was, Africa was just a test run for a lot of things, and I'm like, yeah. So if if but back then I was only listening to BBC Africa. So if you're only listening to one source and you, you, you know, you're not catching the smaller countries, you'll be missing out on all these things happening until years later then I'll watch the Madagascar, uh, uh, the Dosha Vela um, documentary on Madagascar elections and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, okay, now that makes sense. I would, okay, I could have seen this coming, but yeah, then I'm like, oh, okay, now it makes a whole lot of sense why a lot of the election apathy that's in Africa and a whole lot of things that's yet yeah, yet yeah, a lot of the language that I'm fighting against like anytime I'm, in, I'm on a Nigerian forum and I'm talking to people and they're like oh all politicians are the same why, why I gotta vote and then you're like you're excited for somebody but you're like at the same time I see saying everybody is the same and I'm like it, yeah but you've seen that somebody has been sowing the seeds for a long time for a long time in the smaller places and it's like oh it's successful yeah okay now we'll move up to another place and then you move up and then it's only when they get to the big countries and you want to start reporting about they're doing the damage here in the big countries i'm like yeah you could have been reporting about this a few years ago but you weren't doing your job you only focus on the big countries and then the people who could have countered this who could have known that there's something like this happening yeah nobody's yeah. paying attention to that so that's where i fault bbc africa but I listen to, um, I try to catch as many um, news networks um, on the continent, like SABC, um, Arise News in Nigeria. Uh, it's complicated with Arise News, but I also have um, some Nigerian journalists that I follow, and Ghanaian, and uh, yeah, I get my news from different sources at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, really interesting that 
that they tried this disinformation campaign in Nigeria first, and I guess it must have worked. It worked. It worked. So they just went to the next, you know, the it next worked. place. Um, it worked because it was a success. The, the whistleblower at Facebook uh, actually referenced that when he was testifying to Congress in, um, um, that was um, after the 2016 elections when they had, they had that big Facebook, uh, the Cambridge Analytica whistleblower um, person. And he brought up Nigeria a lot. And that was when I began to even notice a lot of my Facebook habits and then listening to the Black Guy tips talk about this, I was like, okay, it made sense why I was very angry, why I was even thinking that I was smart enough with some of the memes that I was reposting, but they, they still got me. And then it also made sense why some of the messages that I was getting from Nigeria, I was like, what the hell are you sending me? This doesn't make sense. Who's the person that sent you this? And these were people in the military, these were people in higher government uh, positions. And I'm like, where you get this from? Oh, well, um, it don't matter. It's the message. I'm like, but where do you get this from? How can you say Libya is shipping oranges uh, full of HIV blood? They injected oranges with HIV blood as uh, revenge for uh, Nigeria not defending Gaddafi from Obama's attack. So they, they are going to poison Nigeria. I'm like, the, the, the most, I'm like, what kind of Muslim? Where, where is this agenda coming from? Where you, like... And, and a whole bunch of people just believe that. And you've seen all manner of things, but instead of increasing and increasing, oh, we're going to boycott beef. I'm like, what are you going to eat if you can boycott beef? It's the Muslims sending the beef. We need to boycott and show the Muslims. I'm like, where, where's all this? And then instead of increasing, so I started warning people, like, stop sending me this. But all of a sudden, this stuff was just increasing on WhatsApp. You see it increasing on Facebook. And you're like, where's it coming from? Yeah. Who sent this to you? Oh, uh, I got it from one of my church members. I got, and but nobody can ever tell you where it came from. And they're like, man, this America you're living in has changed you. That's why you don't. You're not reading the message. It's the truth. I'm like, it's not the truth. Come on, there's something yeah. going isn't, on here. Isn't that crazy? How how sometimes people can believe the weirdest things, mm -hmm. and and they think that they're right, and that, I mean, it like the poisoning the oranges. Someone would have, no matter how, I mean, I don't know that much about Nigeria, but let's just say your government was corrupt, then somebody would have noticed that and been like, no, you can't bring these poisonous oranges here. You know, it's, like it, it's not yeah, really it, that if you could even wild. do something like that. Yeah, that we have this. I mean, you know, we have this big problem in America yeah so people but it's all over the world it is it's it's all over and all that over there's the so many people who I, I don't the things that they believe i mean i i was doing an event like the and we were outside you know getting people registered to vote things americans that live overseas and someone said to me I had a, there was a picture of a postcard and it had Obama on it and something. And um, the person said, well, I'm definitely not going to do anything with you people because you have, you have a picture of him. And I said, you mean Obama? And she said, yeah, um, he's a child molester. And I'm uh. like, 
what? Where are you getting this? This was in Germany. Okay, this is not in America. Mm -hmm. So all this QAnon and whatever and whatever else, it's all over everything. And the only way to fight it is, I mean, yes, you can contradict these people, but you just have to make sure that your friends and family understand what the truth is. And maybe they can help a few other people too. That's, that's the only thing that I can think of. I, I don't know how you, once somebody is brainwashed, you know, with this, with these ideas, and it seems to be, it seems to be, it, it must not be too hard. There must be people who are, because, because someone would have to prove to me that Obama was a child molester. Like it would have to be on the news. Like, you know, we have a film here or something, but I, I wouldn't believe it otherwise. I mean, he's a good and decent man. Um, some of the things that people believe are very shocking. Oh yeah. And yeah, oh, yeah, we yeah. definitely, people need to vote. I, I have to make my pitch for oh, whoever please. is listening. US citizens need to vote uh, at home or abroad um, because because if the Republicans, sorry for your Republican listeners, but if you have Oh, any, please don't be but, sorry. I, 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 uh, they, they know how my stance. So, but if Republicans take control of our government uh, in control of the House, the Senate, or the state legislatures, they are, I mean, they've already said what they want, what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. And you don't want any of it. I mean, one of the first things everybody thinks, you know, like a ban, a national ban on abortion would be terrible. But one of the things that they also want to do is get rid of social security. Yes. And that is terrible. Like a lot of people would be hurt by this in currently and in the future. Um, they want they want a lot of things that nobody wants. Um, guns everywhere. I mean, there's guns everywhere in America, but it would be mm -hmm. worse. Yeah. Because they would want to get rid of the last few remaining laws. They there are so many people that think that, and I don't know why they think this that you're safer if everyone has a gun. No, we you're are not. not safer. Not. You're not safer. Mm. <laughs> you're not safer at all. Um, yeah. So please. If you are in the U.S., go to IWillVote.com. If you're overseas, go to VoteFromAbroad.org and request an absentee ballot if you're an overseas voter. Because um, it's really important that people vote this year. I'm going to hop on that bandwagon and take it to... Um, if you're, you're going to be 18 in November, so you're a high school student, maybe you're a freshman in college, register now. You probably missed your primary if you haven't registered yet. Mm -hmm. But the big dance, the main election is in November. So if you're 17, going to be 18, get that done. If you're in freshman or college campus, avoid the gangs, right? Don't get recruited by the gangs, right? Nope. But, you know, get your voter registration. Ask people in your dorm, are you registered to vote? Find out what sororities and fraternities are doing voter registration. Um, speaking of the Obamas, um, my favorite Obama, Michelle, is the founder of When We All Vote. It's a nonprofit organization that wants to change the culture around voting. And 
I invite you to be part of that move. Uh, part of the culture around voting is that needs to be changed, I think, is that it stops and ends with voting. That's the first step. I agree. And that, yeah, and that if you don't get the result you want, then you're not going to vote again because it didn't mm. turn out for you. It's a marathon, yeah. right? It's not, that's, it's, it's a muscle. You exercise it. You, you don't, you know, you didn't get a handstand the first time. You keep doing it. You have the voting. There's always, every year there's an election. So make it part of your muscle memory. And it's something that adults do. It's just part of adulting. It's not um, optional. Mm -mm. And we don't live in a country that makes it mandatory. I know it's mandatory in Belgium. And I can't remember, maybe one other country that I know of. I know um, of Australia is mandatory too. Australia, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. It, and um, my musician boyfriend that I had at the time, that probably didn't get, care anything about politics, but he was like, I can't stand people that don't vote in Belgium and then want to complain. Even mm. he knew, he said, I got to vote if I want to. So yeah, complain, complain, complain. Be on people's backs, but vote, help other people vote, vote every time. It's not a one-off. I know if you're like me, you're exhausted. I mean, it was ever since 2012. It's so important. You know, Obama had to get reelected. 2008, he had to get, you know, it's always, it's been, the urgency has just increased in my voting life since 2008. Um, and I think it's only going to increase as we talk about problems, you know, whether it's the environment, Angela can get you get on you about that, the environment, yeah. whether we talk about guns, you know, those things aren't going away. So definitely uh, register to vote. You can go to When We All Vote if you're overseas, the federal government. You know, it's we have federally protected rights to vote as Americans living overseas. You do not want to just request your basic uh, absentee ballot from your state if you know you're going to be overseas. Because if it doesn't arrive, you don't have any recourse. But if you do it the federally protected way through a federal, because it's a law for military and overseas citizens. If you do it that way, I exercised this right in 2008. When my Obama, my Obama ballot, when my presidential ballot didn't arrive like a week or two before the election, I thought this is kind of too close. So I knew about the federal write-in absentee ballot. You download it, you literally handwrite it in. They have all the instructions. I FedExed that puppy back in. It was worth that investment for me. And sure enough, a couple of days after the election, my ballot arrived. But if I hadn't gone through the, the right way to register as an overseas voter, I wouldn't have had that protection. Um, to vote. So oh, overseas citizens have a couple more things to think about. You know, we need to start earlier. We need to make sure we get our ballots in our email box. We may not be able to email it back, but get it in your email box. Uh, Angela, what are some other tips? Um, um, ask for your ballot to be delivered to you by email as opposed to the post, mm. because the mail in the United States and in other places is unreliable at this time. Um, I would say just not a tip, but you know, if somebody tells you that voting is pointless, um, just don't listen to them. It's not pointless. It's never pointless. If it was pointless, then they wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. it well, you know not, what? Yeah, yeah. And so that's a good reminder for, um, now this is going to speak to Republicans or Democrats. Um, we know the overseas vote for our Arizona and Georgia, um, those elections went to Biden by under 20,000 votes. And overseas ballot votes would have covered that margin alone. 
So if you're a Republican and like, hey, Biden, you know, it's like, well, you know, you, you didn't vote. If you're, if you're an American that was like, oh, my vote wouldn't have mattered. Look, you almost blew it for us. You know, mm-hmm. you're, it's, it's close. And that's 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 an example for a president. You know, we did it for the Senate as well when the Georgia, when Georgia had that runoff. But think about your hometown and those races that are happening there. You know, you vote in your state, your city and your state. Yeah, that's right. Vote for your, you know, for the president. So, you know, think about what's happening in that school district where your mom still lives, where you're registered to vote. You know, are they, who's talking about giving living wages in that town? You know, who's talking about, there's some jurisdictions that, you know, want to take actual things off of curriculums. Yeah. You know, yeah, or they want to put guns in the hands of teachers. You yeah. know, we were talking about that. So these Florida. votes, that those a... overseas votes matter. So don't get hung up on, oh, my vote doesn't matter. Or I've been gone so long. If you have any attachment to the United States at all and you're a citizen, it's your right. And it's, I think it's your responsibility to, we may not be living there, but it's still our, our well, mess, our success, our country. You can't you know, hide so, from America. That's no. the, the other thing is that we're everywhere into everything. And so you think you can go, you know, oh, I live in X, Y, Z. I don't have to be bothered, but it's not true. We're everywhere. So um, I could talk to you all all day and I don't think I'll be able to cover all the topics that I have. So let me start wrapping up with some quick fire questions. Um Oh, before I get to the fun questions, well, it's still a fun question. One quick question about your podcast. Why did you go with the name Black Women in Europe? Because I'm not creative? No. Unimaginative? No. Because, okay, I started the Black Women in Europe blog. 16 years ago now it is when I moved from Belgium to Sweden I thought can I get any further away from my people right and it was you know out of selfishness it forced me to research what's going on in black because if you've been to Brussels you can be very black in Brussels you can be a little Montangue which is like a little part of the Congo yeah you know you could you know so then I get to Sweden I wasn't in a big city I was in a small city and it's like, okay, you know, let's see what's going on. And so I found out, you know, that we've got black women that are in the European court of, you know, uh, all, all levels, presenters, beauty queens, athletes, Olympians, you know, we're doing the same thing that we're doing in the States, different levels, different way. But again, remember, this is the girl from Chocolate City. I was used to seeing black people do their thing, and especially women. Yeah. So I did that and then the community built out of it. And, you know, 15 years later, um, Angela had an opportunity because uh, I met Angela uh, through that uh, through Democrats abroad when I was I was I was the caucus global caucus coordinator when she stepped up to to launch the global black caucus and I knew right away I wanted to work with her but I knew she was going to be too busy what she was doing so when she was relieved of that position I immediately said okay we please come work with me let's do a podcast and I had lost my father that year and Angela was going through the archives and files. And she said, you know, you're going to be 15. It's going to be 15 this year, black women in Europe. And I was like, what? That had completely gotten it past me. So then our focus was like, okay, we're celebrating 15 years with this podcast. If we just do one season, whatever, we're doing it. We've got so many people to talk to, you know, a blog is static. Let's bring these voices to life. 
And so it was just naturally going to flow out of that. You know, it was a trademark brand that I had done. It was a community. People knew it. And it, but it wouldn't have come to life without Angela. So, cause I wouldn't have had the, the I wouldn't have done it on my own. And I knew I had, um, Angela launched the global black caucus, uh, power to the people podcast. And I had been a guest on it and she let me co-host it when we were getting into that um, election season. Woo, we were going for it hard, um, <laughs> helping people register to vote and everything. So I knew she knew what she was doing when it came to podcasts. So that name was, then it was like, we're two black women in Europe and we just want to talk to other people that get us, maybe don't get us, don't get a chance to speak, that we have girl crushes on, that I have girl crushes on. I have a long list of people, you know, brothers like you, you know, cause we have, what do we call friends of the pod? Um, we're gonna love to. Have, we're gonna invite you to be a guest friend of the pod. Um, so that was the name. So you know, the name was never really imaginative, but I, it, it was supposed to be to the point. This is where you're gonna be black. But the hardest thing about having that name is letting the brothers or the men know that it's just not a dating site. You know, everybody. You know, there's so many that want to join. The- <laughs> You know, you heard of people trying to date on LinkedIn. Yeah. You know, they try to join that. You know, they try to they try to join even on the black. You know, so so that's been. Um, I don't know if it's been good or bad, but it pretty much tells it like it is. It, this it's is, it's been know. good for me though. It's been good because <laughs> yeah, I I, I I love listening to the stories and I I learned I learned I, I was listening to the um the Afro Fiends episode coming to the studio today to refresh myself and I was like, wow, I actually missed where one of the women mentioned that the school in Helsinki was looking for an Igbo teacher. And I was like, I know a lot of Igbo people. And I was actually on a Nigerian forum where there were people arguing that, you know, languages, there's no opportunities for languages outside of Nigeria. And I was like, ah, y'all don't. You know, oh, wow. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you said that because I know that would probably be true also in Sweden and maybe all in Scandinavia because Mm -hmm. they want... If there's enough mass, I don't know how many kids they need. You have the right to have um, part of your education in your mother tongue, you know. Wow. So if there are enough Ibu, uh children speaking children uh, in a community, uh, I know an African American. Well, she's not African American. She, well, she's Haitian American. I know her family moved from Haiti to the states, and so she's mother tongue French and English. And she makes her living in Sweden, you know, teaching English and French to, to, to the kids whose parents, that's their native tongue. So I am so glad that you picked up on that, um, that the Ibu can be taught outside of, where do you speak Ibu? I don't want to just say it's in Nigeria. Is it um, another? To the best of my knowledge, it's Nigeria. I wouldn't be surprised if they, they have, there's an Ibu, if there's indigenous Ibu in parts of Cameroon, because uh, southern... Um, so I think southwestern part of Cameroon used to be part of Nigeria before uh, 1960. That's when they were given the option of either stay in Nigeria or join Cameroon. And that's part of the fighting that's going on today in Cameroon. Yeah, with the French. You know, South and does Cameroon. that tie back to the British somehow? I always I've, feel I've, like it's always, tied back to Always, the everything ties back. <laughs> everything ties back to the British. <laughs> yeah. Everything ties back. Yeah. So, uh, thank you for that. Uh, let me, so I have to start wrapping up for real before Josh kicks me out of here. So, um, so quick questions, favorite city in the world, both of you, New York. No, just, um, (laughs) 
<laughs> I think London is a cool city. I don't know if it's my favorite, but I, if I'm going to stick in Europe, London. Okay. Um, I would say Miami. Wow. I was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Miami. Wow. Okay. Florida got something right. Okay. Um, okay. So you've been to a lot of places, traveled around. When it comes to cuisine, what's your favorite? Indian, some food I had at this, this little place on the road from Delhi to Assam to the northern region that looked like I didn't want to get out of the car because I was like, no way I'm eating there. The best, simple. Those are usually I think best it was, places. Yeah, that, that was my best. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to say seafood in general. So whatever Ooh. country, if there's an ocean close by, okay. I'm sure the food's going to be awesome. Oh, all righty. Uh, Angela's choice is always surprising me. <laughs> Angela, you know why should we tell them about um, our McDonald's in Tokyo? Oh, my God. Oh, yes, that's right. I've, I've heard we stories in, of McDonald's. There. We were in Tokyo and uh, for a conference, and we went to McDonald's, and they had a lobster burger, and it was Lobster great. burger. Wow. Yeah, it, it was awesome yeah i wish I, they would I, sell I that somewhere that. else yeah I've, I've, I've heard mcdonald's in tokyo is uh yeah that's his whole that's a whole different universe on its own <laughs> yeah okay so everyone who appears on this podcast is considered a dancer if you claim you don't dance you don't you know we will stop recording and kick you off the show right <laughs> now so you have to admit that you're a dancer and then we move on so um, we need you to dance for at least an hour. And for you to dance for an hour, we need you to give us three artists that will keep you dancing for an hour. Now, you can't give us the most popular names. You know, people like to give us Michael Jackson, uh, the, uh, Beyonce, you know, Jay-Z's. No, you can't give us those names. You can't give us, you know, give us names from your travels. You can give us names from... Names that not everybody will, you know, pop, um, will not be popular to everybody, you know. So we can we love to discover artists too. So yeah, who goes first? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad this is audio only because I'm looking at Angela's face, and if my camera was on, my face would be <laughs> <laughs> just like that. And you were like, "No, Michael Jackson." I was like, "Prince." I'm thinking Prince '80s party. Yeah, you know? yeah. I have to make it difficult for people because. Uh, yeah, in the beginning, everybody was just going with the most popular names. I was like, no, 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 no. We have to make it difficult now. So bring it down. Well, you know what? I don't know. And see, this is going to be... You can, you can bring an old artist, but not, you know, you can, you can still go old school, but you can give us some names. And you can give us somebody from... Sweden has a lot of great music that's come out from there, too. So That's true. And I am old school. But you know what? And this this I don't know if you heard of da Daniel Lima, but oh. it's me and my Swede song. It's called... Um, love light and he's a swedish dread or i don't know why he was popular in sweden but it's this um it's so it's like a romantic dance so if i'm dancing for an hour i'm gonna get a dance in there with my speed right so that he's a good dancer like that ballroom type dancing kind of not like okay but anyway so something that he can hold me we can dance to so daniel lima love light that's like okay. my theme song that would be good and then i'm gonna 
be quiet while Angela interjects, and I think of my other two. So, <laughs> all right. So, I kind of like techno and house type yep. music, but cool. I like. I mean, I like a lot of different types of music. So, I'm gonna say, if I wanted to dance for a long time, I would listen to Usher. That would be number the first person. Mm. Oh, should, should we take Usher? All right. Well, yeah. All right. All right. Well, all right. Really just, just, party, just approve. You've got to go we'll, to we'll, an underground rave. So, okay. Sorry. All right. We'll, we'll take Usher. Um, we'll take Usher. Okay. Well, so, uh, Usher is he's currently with the Watch This right now. It's all over Twitter. So, and I oh, like seeing that okay. too. Is something going on with Usher? I don't know. But oh, he, do you know? He just performed oh. at uh, that was over a month ago at um, Tiny Desk for, for NPR. And people, I guess a whole bunch of young people realized that Usher can sing. And when he uh -huh. did his, watch this. Yeah. And they're like, oh, so now it's become a meme. And you use it for everything. So it's like, oh, someone says, I'm going to be there at five. You don't believe me? Watch this. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, it, thank it, you. It, See, now you're making me current. I'm going to use this. Make yeah, it, it works for everything. Any, anybody doubts you on anything, just tell them, watch this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, he uh, he actually yeah. responded to it. Uh, he <laughs> there's a Dominican oh, usher that's come out from that performance, and <laughs> yeah, it's uh, one of the best things to happen on the internet recently. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna let's see if I can break the internet with throwing go-go music out. Oh, there. yeah, yeah, you definitely. Okay, you you feel me with the go-go. I don't know if Angela knows go-go knows go-go music, but there was if you go back to um. A Spike Lee movie. Mm -hmm. um, the, it's, it's, it's from DC. Everybody knows it in DC, but it kind of went mainstream. Spike Lee movie. Which one was it? But the doing the butt was. Oh um, yeah, that was. That's uh, that's go School days. School days. Okay. And then also Salt and Pepper did like shake your thing. They have like a go-go beat or whatever. And they talk about go-go, but go-go is good. I think go-go is good for young and old because you can have and you see if you go to a DC go-go party, you see grandmothers up there dancing with their grandkids because you can do it at your own little beat and you know black people we can dance and be cool yep with, with, you know so go go i think it's intergenerational i could dance to that for an hour yeah but we, we need an artist a go go artist. oh if you want an artist i would yeah. say eu experience unlimited um chuck brown he uh godfather of soul rest in peace he's jamming up there with james brown and all the other greats um, he's and one thing I love about going to a baseball game. I haven't been lately in Washington D.C. though. When they throw, when we hit a home run, they'll play some go-go music. Um, I forget what it is. So a little bit of D.C., but definitely Chuck Brown and Experience Unlimited or two. If you can find them, you'll find libraries of other local artists. Alrighty, awesome. Do you, do you have any more to add, Angela? Um, I do. Um, I like Rihanna a lot. That's that's cheating. That's cheating. We can, it's we can, cheating. Yeah. Okay. 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 All right. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Then, um, I won't. I won't say Rihanna then. But I mean, she she's welcome on the podcast too. But uh, that's that's um. She's the best. Oh yeah. Um, I okay. All right. I had to look through like my Spotify. Um. So I'm gonna say, if I had to pick a song. That um, an artist that could keep you dancing. I'm gonna go back, like I'm gonna go back old school. Um, I would say Sly and the Family Stone. Hey, I haven't heard that name in a while. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. 
Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So you've got one. Do you ever idea. watch Eurovision? Is it called Eurovision? Yeah. Yes, Eurovision. Yeah. Eurovision. I haven't watched it, but it's it's getting big around my friends. Yeah. Because I think it's getting popular or they're trying to push it in the States. Yeah, it, it's like, getting popular here. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, if um they, there's always somebody quirky there. But I just wanted to mention, because I guess everybody figured Ukraine's going to win because of the war. But their their act was a combination. It was basically, okay, Black people won Eurovision this year. And the reason I say that is because it was a combination of Ukrainian folk music and hip-hop. I mean, somebody was breakdancing, somebody was rapping. You know, they would be there with their, like, their traditional clothes, playing folk music, and then they would... The, break would come and it's rap and, and i was like okay we know people love hip-hop it was a good song though so i i just say that, that every every year i've watched i've seen um, eurovision get more and more black more and more black artists or whatever but this was the first time i've seen black culture oh. win yeah black culture won eurovision this year yeah, um, that's, I, just, uh, I had to say that yes uh i'm trying to remember his name terrell terrell style james no no not james Jermaine or something. I have to remember his last name. I think Star is his middle name. He's a uh, black. He's a black gentleman. He's a journalist who moved to Ukraine to learn Ukrainian before the the war broke out, the invasion by Russia. And um, yeah, he 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 has some great history of Ukraine that he's been given on Twitter. And when he was he was back in the states not long ago, he even testified at Congress. And yeah, that guy is like a fountain of information. I'll send you his inf information. Uh, Where is he now? I think he's back in Ukraine. Yeah. Wow, because we did hear people are going back, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, he's, I think he's back. Um, he's been reporting on Twitter. He, he's he's been one of the people who like exposed how the Russian, um, what do you call it, the 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 propaganda machine online works and when you start following you start seeing how he breaks it down it, it, you start seeing how oh there's a whole lot of uh, yeah there was a lot of thought put into the online attack first and then the, the physical attack so it was like separate wars that was going on and yeah so even when he started showing black history in ukraine it was like wow people were like what black people what that's black history what what people were like were exploding <laughs> it was because it was like heads were exploding in the comment section so yeah he's, he's also a fantastic um, resource i think i hope i can get him one day to be on the show too because now he sometimes he even dresses in traditional ukrainian outfits too yeah so fascinating yeah so thank you enough. I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Um, as my people say, Umbana, that's how I thank you. And as um, my wife says, Dankeschön. So I, I still remember that German. And um, so before we officially wrap up, um, final question. What would you like to leave the audience with? Could be, it's your freestyle moment. So if you want to leave a go-go tr track, hey, that's up to you. But it's your freestyle moment, up to you guys. Okay, I'm going to go first. What I would like to leave the audience with is one, that climate change is real and that we can do something about it. There's nothing stopping us. We have all the technology that we need to actually solve the problem, but what we don't have is the will. Um, two, that 
humanity is in, is infinitely creative and that if we all work together we could accomplish great things and that dividing ourselves up by arbitrary groups of nationality or race or sex or whatever is counterproductive and that if we want to make our planet as a whole a great place for everyone with opportunities for everyone then we have to all work together and um, try to think of each person as an individual but a part of a whole like we are one whole human family and um yeah the last thing like i i know it was supposed to be a three-part answer but okay is that we can't let the fascist win mm -mm. we need to do everything we can to stop them because the we are at the threshold of really great things and they will destroy the earth with their nonsense and keep us keep us from achieving that future that 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 a lot of people think we should have so stand strong against fascism protect the earth and stand together with every with every person on earth and let's make it a better place awesome Adrian? Okay, I thought this was going to be light and fluffy. Like, <laughs> here's my link tree, you know, follow me on YouTube. Oh, you, no, you, you, you get that, was... that after this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not like that. So, <laughs> um, no, but that was great. And of course, uh. everything that Angela said. So, I'm just going to couple with if you call, if you follow Angela's call to action to protect the earth, repel the fascists, and what was the third thing? Um, Climate change. Good to work for. Oh yeah, oh humanity. Yeah, but it was humanity. basically like for the best of humanity. If yes. you're, if that's your call and that's your charge, I'm going to offer you the other side of that coin. You have to take care of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Angela and I personally know what it's like to uh, neglect our families, neglect our um, well-being. At least for me, but you know, stress kills. You know, all those things. So on the other side of that coin, while you're the activist, you know. This is what they don't show you in the Marvel. Do they show you, Angela? Like th them getting massages and all that stuff, pedicures or just no. eating good food, you know, eating good food. We have to take care of ourselves yeah. because they are coming for us. The fastest are coming for us. They're killing our planet. Like all these things are true. Mm -hmm. So we have to take care of ourselves. So we have to learn how to say no to things that don't serve you, that suck your time, that you know just don't feel good, that make you feel bad. You know, I've said no to a lot of things and it's given me a lot more time to do things that matter. And don't feel bad about saying no. People are going to be upset when you say no. They're going to look like you grew a second head because you used to always say yes. The first time you say no, they're going to be like, what? And they're going to make you try to feel bad. True. That's how you know you're right. That's how you know you're right. So take care of yourself. Learn when to say no. And just for, be kind to yourself. Forgive yourself. And then I think you can forgive others. Nine times out of ten, people are doing the best they can. When you get when you find that tenth person who's not one, stay far away from them. Don't let them in your space. I agree. Yeah. Thank you again. And please let the audience know where they can find you. Um, you okay, can find now. Me. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. This is what you wanted. You wanted so you can find me on Instagram and um, Twitter at at Bobsy F O B B S I E. Alrighty. And Adrian. Yeah. So the podcast is at B W I E today. One word. Twitter is um, at B W I E. You know, the YouTube channel, I don't know, but if you if you go on YouTube and search for Black Women in Europe Power List, Actually, our channel is going to come up. Give, give yeah, link. Link yeah but I want to see it all well, out, too, to let them know. I'll, I'll have all up. the links, including the link yeah. tree in the show link notes. Tree. Link don't worry. Tree. Link tree. But, <laughs> yeah. to, you know, Piva, you know, we're, we're trying to be everywhere where we can make a difference. So thank you so much for letting us come here and talk to you, to, hey. you, to meet you, friend of the pod. Pleasure. So all mine. I'm honored. I'm, I'm so glad that you guys joined us. And yeah, it's uh, we've learned a lot. And um, I can't, uh, hopefully, uh, I'm always in Germany once, at least once a year. And maybe one day I'll make it down to, I'm always in the northwestern part. But um, we're talking now that my daughter is getting older. Yeah, she can stay with Oma and Opa. And uh, yeah, we can go to other parts of Germany instead of always hanging around me and start drinking glue wine so yeah <laughs> so um danke schön again and uh, i think sw- swedish is tak tak right it is and i was just gonna say nobody ever comes to thanks swedish, for but it listening is. to white label america <laughs> <laughs> I, I was if supposed to come the show we'll appreciate if you run away we'll wrap up here and, and um, don't forget to listeners to um Wherever your feedback, you get your podcast, donate and check out. If you have Black any Women questions, Europe, comments, podcast, or uh, season two is coming who up soon. Be so, a good guest on yes, the show. Support, support, or you want and, to um, be on the show. Don't forget to join us next week for White Label American Love coming at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support.